Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hui Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm joined by... I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today we are talking about the the once and future savior of all television shows, Netflix. Um, they used to be known as like the like safety net for any canceled show, or that's what it appeared to be. And then they got into the business of doing their own original shows. And lo and behold, six years later, roughly, they are now shopping those uh, shows off at the neck like nobody's business. It is a slaughter to be put nicely they are throwing everything at the wall with a one season deal one to two season deal and if they're not making the numbers they slice and dice and our favorite shows are no more um we are here to talk specifically and broadly about netflix's cancellation of one day at a time the remake of the classic series from the 70s um also by norman lear and it was widely regarded as one of one of Netflix's best originals. Mm-hmm. Um, has a diverse cast. Um, it's it uh, talks talks about stories that like no one else is talking about. It's a three camera sitcom, three camera setup sitcom, which is super rare these days. And so like the combination of all of what once one day at a time is or was, um, happens to be a super niche. But critically regarded and Netflix last week in a tweet, which we'll probably get into that, um, announced as as our friend, we are sad to uh, see one one day at a time go because uh, I'm paraphrasing here. They just didn't have the numbers, which is such bullshit because there are shows that I don't believe anybody watches. Like the ranch, the ranch <laughs> that gets like, that gets the Ashton Kutcher joint. Um that Danny Masterson had to be fired from for sexual misconduct allegations, that show is still going and I think maybe ending soon, but it's like a five year show or whatever. Um, so that show, one day at a time, it's been canceled. Uh, Netflix has Netflix as a Twitter account has been trying to be like more friendly. So this news announcement didn't come in a press release, it came in a tweet or like a, I guess a tweet thread, and it just seemed really disingenuous. Um, mm-hmm. The yeah. like the practice of being like, what's your favorite film? Let's give you some recommendations. And then it's like it'll slap you on the face going, now your favorite show is canceled. Like there's something weird about that. And so what are your thoughts on this whole cancellation of a critically regarded diverse TV show on a streaming service that has a non-compete clause, apparently? I well, think you've nailed it on the head, Willoughby. Um, yeah. Netflix is not your friend. I think that's the big lesson to come out of all of this is that, you know, they're... That's the show title. <laughs> there you go. Netflix is not your friend. They're trying to endure to endure themselves with us through this sort of tongue-in-cheek, uh, very casual Twitter conversation, as well as, like, frequently champi- championing um, diversity and representation, like, on the surface. But it shows through their business practices that that isn't quite the case. Right, Anya? Yes. Um, yeah, and I was going to um, actually read the Twitter thread that Willie mentioned, because I think it would be good to hear exactly what Netflix said and why the tweet came off 
as the tweets came off as poorly as they did um, in regards to other decisions they have made. So I'm going to read this little thread for you guys just to remind you of what they said. So they tweeted this on March 14th at 1030 in the morning. So starting the day off, everyone got this bad news. (laughs) And they said, we've made the very difficult decision not to renew one day at a time for a fourth season. The choice did not come easily. We spent several weeks trying to find a way to make another season work, but in the end, simply not enough people watched to justify another season. Thank you, Norman Lear, for bringing the series back to television. Thank you, Gloria Calderon, Kellett, and Mike Royce for always making us laugh and never shying away from bravely and beautifully tackling tough subject matter in a meaningful way. To Justina Machado, Todd Grinnell, Isabella Gomez, Marcel Ruiz, uh, Stephen Tobolsky, and Rita Moreno, thank you for inviting us into your family. You filled the show with so much heart and warmth and love. It truly felt like a home. And then they capped it off with this very egregious tweet. And to anyone who felt seen or represented, possibly for the first time by one day at a time, please don't take this as an indication your story is not important. The outpouring of love for the show is a firm reminder to us that we must continue finding ways to tell these stories. Hey, here's a way. Here's a, I found a way. Renew the season. Keep exactly. the show. Keep the show. And... They're reason... like, we just can't find, we need to find things. We need to find reasons. It's like, it's right in front of you. You're so close. Just put the two and two together. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that like this specifically, you know, is so, so hurtful to people is that I think it's a twofold thing. It's the first part of it is that one day at a time was genuinely a really good show. I was not caught up and did not watch all of it but what I did watch I loved and it not only had representation of uh Latinx family in the U.S. and these fully flushed characters who are played by Latinx actors um it also explored mental health issues and economic issues and they also had queer representation and so it was this full array of the kind of people that you see in the world that meet at all these intersections and the struggles that they face and the the love that they share. And so it was a really beautiful show. And so that is heartbreaking in and of itself of why it was canceled. But then you look at on top of that, the shows that Netflix has canceled before this one, they've canceled things like Sense8, Everything Sucks, The Get Down, Shadow Hunters, Gypsy, Jessica Jones, most recently, and all of these shows had representation, had queer representation, had people of color, had women at the forefront, and they have canceled all of these shows before one day at a time, just making it feel like they don't actually care about our stories, no matter what their lip service is. Do you guys think that um, there is an actual like business plan for Netflix in canceling these shows? Like, are they doing it because um, because of the numbers, or do you think it's because of like the glut of original content that we're getting from them? Like, there's just so much stuff, and they're like, I think we're um, Willie was citing the Deadline report earlier that was kind of going into the business practices of it. Is that like they only have like even though they seem to have a bottomless well of money, they are like kind of investing 
um, more in like new shows versus trying to maintain the shows that they already have, which is a strange practice to me. So what do you guys think about that? Like, do you think that Netflix's business strategy of what we've heard of it actually is like something that is like sustainable or is it like a little bit, a little topsy-turvy? This is, this is the thing is that they, like I said earlier, they throw up so many season ones of shows. Sometimes two new shows in the same weekend. Um, I think American Vandal season two and BoJack Horseman season five, like both premiered at the, on the same weekend, which is just sort of insane. Cause like they used to have only enough shows to sparse like shows every, every couple of weeks is like a new TV show. And now it's like, tr- like double and triple events and it's insane. And it seems like they're hemorrhaging money, but because it's a subscription, you know, they get so many millions of dollars a month and they put that all that money towards new shows and they buy shows they buy original shows they buy a lot of foreign Um, content too a lot of international content a lot of Mm -hmm. international content a lot of shows that um were were like initially not seen on like lifetime and then they pick up like you or whatever or like they have distribution rights from like canadian shows that are aired on like a canadian network and then they air on Netflix and like vice versa, like their shows like Brooklyn Nine Nine is a Netflix original in the UK, um, because that's how they distribute those shows. Um, so it's just a fascinating like look at like a streaming service that just sort of like throws money at what it wants and then takes the money away when it thinks it's not doing the numbers. And unfortunately, everyone hates Nielsen the, the ratings because that used to be the bane of our like network existence of like community doesn't have the Nielsen ratings so it's canceled and now it's brought back or it's delayed or what whatnot and so it goes to Yahoo screen Yahoo screen is bankrupt because of community and so you're like well Netflix seems to be like making so many shows but they never tell us the numbers until recently they don't even until really tell recently, us they only tell they only really tell us when it succeeds or when they're trying to find a reason to cancel something that's the thing is that for the longest time Netflix never released any number positive or negative they just either um like uh greenlit another season or the se- the sh- the show like died quietly like that Marco Polo show oh, yeah. like or like Hemlock Grove like slowly but surely the- these shows kind of like petered out it was never like a big deal like it is with one uh, one day at a time um, but that's also when Netflix had like maybe five or six shows and now they have uh, hundreds and it's this insane thing where they're just like r- seeing which, what sticks. And then if the quote numbers aren't good, they'll just cancel it. And they're not releasing the numbers like Nielsen does. We don't know how many people have watched one day at a time. Apparently it's not enough, but we do know that over 40 million people in the first week watched Bird Box, according, apparently, mm-hmm. according to, again, a tweet from Netflix that, like, celebrates the amount of no- people that watched Bird Box over Christmas weekend. And it's just, they're, they're having their cake and eating it, too, and then throwing it in the garbage when it doesn't taste as good as they thought it would, instead of giving it to other people. For example... Apparently, according to that deadline report, Netflix has a non-compete clause with their television shows. I've heard of that with people where, like, you go to one ad agency and then you get fired and you can't work at a different ad agency for, like, three years or whatever. 
Netflix has the same thing with TV shows. That's why American Vandal doesn't have a, uh, a season three at CBS I'm All still Access. still angry about which that. Is cited, c- cited in that deadline report. Or why, like, One Day at a Time might not make it to cable, uh, might, not, might not make it to network in time for it to be, like, I guess, still, like, in production. Because Netflix has, like, a deal with original content where it's, like, you, you can't, that, like, that's not going anywhere. We own it now. Um, the same thing with the Marvel shows. All, all those have been canceled, possibly in a move for, because Disney is having their own streaming service. And I guess they don't want to compete. But ironically, those shows won't be able to go to Disney because of the, com- of the non-compete clause. I feel like the, the Disney, the Marvel shows especially, was just like a big power move by Netflix. Like, we can cancel this because we can. And uh, that yeah. was something that yeah. really grinded my gears with Netflix. I mean, like, so many things do. Like, everything you're you're listing out right now is just kind of a lot of the reasons where I don't trust Netflix. And um, I don't like what they do as a company, especially because they, they – tr- act more like a tech company than they do like a movie and tv studio which is something that is like they should act more like because that's what we need the transparency for they are providing this entertainment in front of people with jobs um and yet they're just still kind of acting like a startup company yeah agreed and then the other thing is that you know with a lot of this like lack of transparency like what we've been talking about and, like will it be you know, you said that, like, in their tweet about one day at a time, they just said enough people weren't watching, but they wouldn't tell us what that meant. We, we, like, that could mean literally anything. That could mean millions of people are watching, but because it's not the 40 million of Bird Box, it's, like, somehow a failure. And the, the other thing is that I remember when Sense8 was canceled, um, and, you know, again, a lot of diversity, a lot of representation in that show... But I, I, I could understand that in a way if it wasn't getting the numbers because that was a very expensive show. And as much as we hate kind of things getting canceled because of money because, you know, it's like, well, what they say is so important, blah, blah, blah. Like we've talked about before, Hollywood is a business. Like it is a capitalistic industry. They do. Money is a huge factor in these. They have to turn a profit. Sense8 was an incredibly expensive show. You cannot tell me one day at a time was a really expensive show. Mm-hmm. No, not and, even the cost to like license it from Sony would would equal the cost of like a hemorrhaging te- television show. It's three yeah. cameras, two sets, and like ten actors. That's a cheap show. They they they've been making three camera sitcoms since the fifties. This is a product that works, and yet Netflix is like, oops, no deal. Yeah. Yeah, are we even getting, like, and I think, I don't know how many seasons Fuller House has been going on, but. Uh, Five. Five, yeah. That's still going. Wait, are you serious? That's what it It was in the deadline It's been going on for, like, two. Well, I think it's because it's, it's because they've been releasing multiple seasons a year. So it turns into, like, five seasons, but it's really been three years. Oh, my God. Yep. And now Aunt Becky's going to jail, so... (sighs) (laughs) What are you going to do about that, Netflix? Maybe they'll replace her with Robin Wright. Aunt Becky. (laughs) They've They've already said she's not returning to the show, but I'm like, hey, have you ever thought about maybe canceling a show like Fuller House, which no one once everyone the people who do watch it watch it out of morbid curiosity more than anything or like some sort of misguided nostalgia 
Or when I was 10 and Full House was on like ABC Family reruns at 7 and 7.30 in the morning and that's what I would watch. Like, it's possible that there is like kids are watching it. Like there's this whole demographic of little children that are probably watching TV shows, which is why like certain shows probably get more viewers because someone's pressing play. Um, that's the thing is that like it's a tech company. So like the numbers can be fudged because as we've seen from any tech company in the past, I don't know, three and a half years, shit can go down in a tech company. Mm-hmm. And I'm and like I think that Netflix is this weird thing where they used to be the 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 network that was they used to be the company that competed with the empire known as yeah, Blockbuster. they were the disruptors yeah mm-hmm. they were the rebels they were like ooh you don't have to do late fees remember that late fees yeah. and now it's like in 2010 you could watch all of the office or all of what was available at the office and then go oh that was fun i'll go rent like this movie and now it's like I guess they still have a DVD portion of their company, but like, I don't know who still rents DVDs from Netflix. All their business is from the instant watch, which is what it used to be called. And it's this weird company that is more morphed for the past, like what, 20 years? HT, when did your family start renting from Netflix? Oh, like, I don't go know. Wild, right? I think it was like 2000 or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah so it's years. been like a while and they're just like this staple in our uh, entertainment industry that is now trying to branch into movies yeah. that are released in cinemas for Oscar play. They're reaching out and then also destroying. That's my big issue with Netflix. I kind of referred to this before in that like they're a big Hollywood movie and TV uh, industry mover now, but they still act like a tiny tech startup company. And I think that they don't think that they should be held accountable to the same standards that big studios um, are held to. Like they are becoming a, a monopoly and yet they still present themselves as like this scrappy um, creatives first uh, company. And like in a sense they do do that. Like uh, I think whenever they commit to a series order, at least like of a, one season, they do allow more creative freedom than perhaps like ABC or NBC or like other networks do. But in the long run, they don't, they still act like, they still are in the same role as like a movie TV studio. And I dislike that they pretend that they aren't. You yeah. know what this exactly. reminds me of? What? This reminds me of Fox, not the news channel, but the entertainment channel. They would have all these really fun sci-fi products that they would release and then cancel <laughs> because it wasn't making enough. And the, the show was so expensive. Like, I guess Fringe did get to last five, that, five seasons, but like Firefly is a prime example of that, where it's like a super expensive spa- uh, sci-fi show that is super niche and then people the the ratings aren't met and the advertising isn't there there so they cancel the show and that used to be like fox's deal all the time with like their sci-fi like fantasy shows and i remember that being like a interesting thing to follow and now netflix is doing that with like so many random shows like yeah, i don't even i honestly now. couldn't tell you like which yeah it's like oh well we're because like i remember I read somewhere that they were like, they just give one season deals, and if they get enough money, they might do a season two. Like, it's it just feels weird, very arbitrary. weird thing. Where, yeah, it, it is. It feels like they're, like, throwing noodles at a wall and, like, hoping they stick. 
yeah, and maybe maybe some noodles are noodles are a little bit more buttered than others, so they stick to the wall. Others slide right off. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous, and it it feels, you know, for us as the as the consumers, um, both in watching the shows, but also literally giving our money to Netflix, there is something that feels very disingenuous and I don't know the word like secretive or you know they're trying to dupe us yeah yeah they're very distrustful and like we are the ones giving our money to them Mm -hmm. and paying them a service and they seem to have no no regard or care for you know the user experience or guest feedback as it were Mm -hmm. But the irony and, of that is that they are trying to pre- present as a company on social media like that. And then you get you come to the, the, the crossroad of friendly social media banter and press release of a canceled television show. And it just doesn't mesh well. Like, I me- everyone was quote tweeting that tweet with being like, this is t- fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's they they that's the thing is Netflix you know, if they have, if, if some, if their social media person was watching like the replies and quote tweets and every, all the responses to these tweets, they're, they're seeing like the anger for it. Like it's, unless they just like shut off their computer for the day and just said, well, I did my job. I'm going to, I'm going on break. (laughs) Like there has to be someone at Netflix who's going, I think we fucked up, Jim. I think we did, Steve. Are we the baddies? Are, are we the baddies? Yeah. So like, it's I like the here's the thing. I'm not going to cancel my Netflix subscription over this, but I think we have to be a little bit more accountable of the services that we like. We have to, like we have to be the ones who tell Netflix like, hey, this is kind of a shit move. Yeah. Well, so here's here's my question, Willoughby. You just said you're not going to cancel your Netflix subscription over this. I'm not going to either. HT, I'm going to assume you're in the same boat with us. I'm not going to either. It's my job depends too much on it. And I kind of hate that. My job depends too much on it. And there is still content on the service that I still genuinely love. And I don't want to give up. So here's the thing. Will be to what you were saying. We have to hold them accountable. But how can we hold a business accountable if we are still paying for their services? Is it enough to simply yell on social media? Will that be enough to get them to change their mind? Or if they're still getting all our money, it shows them that they can make decisions like these, anger us, but not lose us. And so how do we actually put the pressure on a company like this when we are not doing any tangible actions to show them that we are upset i don't know yeah i don't know if we personally can do this but i feel like there needs to be some policy change enacted in order to pressure netflix to act more accountable and to you know act by regulations of some sort by which other tv or movie studios act by so call your congressman yep call your congressman i guess netflix is doing one day at a time wrong (laughs) <laughs> they're yeah. doing them dirty like jamie raskin i need your help netflix he's like i know dude i'm on the horn <laughs> but, I mean, I like, it's something that i feel like will take quite a while i know steven spielberg was having that sort of um he was trying to do something with netflix that was 
you know, regarded as fairly unpopular on film Twitter, but I think he kind of had the right idea in terms of just like holding Netflix accountable in some way. Um, I think he kind of dropped it because of just like all the backlash that happened. But I think he did have the right idea in terms of just like, you know, treating Netflix like, um, you know, a big powerhouse now. I think there was the sensationalist headlines of that story Mm -hmm. sort of grabbed people. And then probably a lot of people didn't read the articles. To be fair, I didn't read a lot of the articles at first. So I was like, what is this old ass baby boomer talking to talking about but like and like people were citing like steven spielberg didn't like dvds when dvds were a thing like he's always sort of been pushing against technology (laughs) yeah like but at the same time i do agree that like if netflix is gonna uh, premiere movies and have them be oscar players like definitely have them in theaters long enough for people to see it in a theater Mm -hmm. if that's what they're trying to do like that i i agree like there needs to be there needs to be some sort of weird i don't know i don't know the laws I don't know the governing bodies of like network television. I'm sure the FCC is involved and like they're not our friends with uh, the net neutrality, but like, I'm sure like there has to be something to like make Netflix a little bit more accountable for like what they're doing. Yeah, I hope so. And I mean, like you said, it's probably not up to us. It's probably is up to kind of just the industry at large. Um, Cause Netflix also tries to argue in favor of itself that like, you know, with things like Roma and, you know, movies being up for Oscar contention and being in theaters, but only for a limited time, is Netflix argues that while they're giving people who don't live near movie theaters or who don't live near indie movie theaters the chance to see movies they normally otherwise wouldn't get to see in theaters. Which, oh, yeah, and that's still great. Yeah, it's a valid point. It, it You know, it ties into the larger discussion about Hollywood and accessibility at large, um, but simply providing some services does not give Netflix the freedom to say, hey, you can't criticize us for other things. Yep. It, it feels like Netflix thinks it's above the rest of the rules and regulations that Hollywood has to play because they're kind of new and unprecedented. And so we don't have regulations in like in place yet for companies like these because we've never needed to regulate companies like these. And so it really is a matter of like creating regulations, but it's a matter of like, who's going to do that? What are the regulations going to be? How's it going to work? How are they going to be implemented? And so this is a really monumental task for Hollywood, but I think it's also fairly critical at this point. Like Netflix is getting too big to simply leave unchecked. Yeah. And I think that it needs to, be checked more than just like the free market because there is the oncoming uh sort of debut of several new streaming platforms by disney by apple um what other streaming i think like a bunch of networks has a thing yeah a bunch of networks are also planning to debut theirs facebook has one so i think that those will kind of stimmy netflix's growth a little bit but not as much as it needs to be because it still is like the number one number one goat here netflix is a loose cannon cop that doesn't play by the rules and we need to be the the no-nonsense captain that tells them to put on a tie exactly i think that netflix is more like a horse than a hospital (laughs) a horse 
loose in a hospital. hospital. We're well past that. (laughs) There shouldn't be a horse loose in the hospital. We know. We're well past that right now. Like, yeah, that's it's a giant. And what's ironic is that, like, Hulu and Amazon have just sort of been, like, playing by the rules, I feel like, a little bit more. Mm Mm-hmm. Or like they're not they're not drawing attention to themselves. In fact, Amazon and Hulu have, I think, won more awards. They have. It's true. Oh, they like, have. You play? Like, Amazon has like, played by the rules much more with their movie studio too, because for they had their movie oh, oh. studio before Netflix, and they've been like releasing them in theaters for a while. Yeah, they do the thing where they release it normally in like an indie movie theater chain, or depending on how popular it is. Like the Big Sick was like pretty well wide released Mm -hmm. but like they'll do their like three month in a movie theater and then like a little announcement on amazon prime will show up being like cold war coming to amazon prime march 31st or whatever so it's Mm -hmm. like they'll just you know they'll do their exact thing and like hulu releases their tv shows one week at a time Mm -hmm. and like the binging they don't really do the binging model or some i mean for i think for their like bigger shows they won't but like i know other shrill is binging Mm. yeah or yeah, like and, released and all their episodes that, at once. i know that future man released all their episodes at once but like i know handmaid's tale still, still does like they do which i almost wonder if that's like a like a moral or ethical choice but i'm like you can't binge that you show. can't binge that show i no, tried I doing it for like, work I, and i almost died but I, but, but I know that like difficult people which was billy eichner's show that was released weekly too mm-hmm. so like it's not just handmaid's tale but definitely handmaid's tale needs to be released weekly um yeah. There's, but like Hulu and like we haven't really talked about them at all in this discussion, and I feel like they're sort of just chilling in the back, letting Netflix take the brunt of the criticism because Netflix is the biggest company. I mean, Grant Amazon probably is the biggest company, but Netflix as a streaming service, only a streaming service, is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. So it's like a it's a ongoing discussion. I think I think we need to like maybe check in with Netflix every once in a while. Because, like, they seem to be growing a little bit too big for their britches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Teddy Roosevelt's probably rolling in his grave right now, thinking about the massive monopoly that Netflix has. Um, or at least the streaming services are, because there's, like, three of them. Uh, not even could be more, monopoly. but, like, Oh, he would, he would be like, what is this? What is this nonsense? Why are, are there five different it. companies... Um, so is there anything else we want to talk about with Netflix? No, I think you've put it all really well, Willoughby. Yeah. I think that's a good way to wrap up our discussion. Um. Wait, ooh? Hmm? Ooh? No, I said cool. Oh, I heard ooh and I was like, what? What else? (laughs) No, no. Um. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Willoughby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? So I have two. I really can't not talk about both. I mean, they're not they're unrelated to each other. But the first one is Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu. I really, really think it's a charming video game. And I think that it's a, a very fun, casual Nintendo Switch game that is preparing everyone for the next 
Pokemon main console game, which is going to be on the Switch, which I think is really cool. They're like going away from the Game Boy and the Nintendo DS. But Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee are like remakes of the first games. And they're kind of simplified. You kind of play Pokemon Go instead of actually battling wild Pokemon. You like catch them and then you battle trainers. And it's basically the same thing as Pokemon Yellow and Red and Blue. And I really like that. I bought it. I think it's a really, it's a really fun like way to like kill time. You know, it's a Pokemon game. I love it. It's very good. Um, Pikachu is adorable. I named it Danny DeVito. I'm a fan. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. Now, <laughs> the second thing. So um, that's my first thing. My second thing is I saw Apollo 11, a documentary about Apollo 11. <laughs> but it's not just any documentary about Apollo 11. It is a documentary with an unseen amount of footage, like locked away in some archive in NASA somewhere, that this documentary, a documentary documentarian, I forget his name, I forget the director's name, but they like took all this like, 65 millimeter footage of the Apollo 11 like mission control, the takeoff, the landing on the moon, the landing back on Earth, like all of this footage that has like almost like never before been seen before. But it's like it looks like it could be shot today. It, that's how pristine everything is. That's so amazing. well. Some of it like the the camera, the camera, the cameras on the lunar module. On the Eagle, that they're they're like as shitty as you think they would be for 1969. But like the camera, the cinematography of the rocket launch, the Saturn V rocket launch, is like I I was stunned. I was a gasp. Um, it was amazing. Um, there's a shot of the lunar module on the moon with the Earth in the background. It's one of the most unique angles of camera. I've ever seen before and I'm just like this is something that I don't think anybody's ever seen except for maybe several handfuls of people been to the moon and <laughs> I think that's just neat. I think it's neat it took us on a journey uh, that you know we watched we've seen a bunch of times everybody's seen the moon landing like that's the thing but like the they present it in such a unique way of all this unseen footage that you're watching it for the first time it's like uh um uh there's some, uh, there's a tagline from from the when they re-released Star Wars. Oh, see it again for the first time. Like that's basically like what they're trying to do here, and I think it's a really neat documentary. Um, it's narrated by Mission Control instead of like a narrator and interviews. Like it's all, uh, it's all B-roll essentially. So is um, this footage? Uh, sorry to interrupt. Is this footage like restored in some way, or is this just kind of how it was from the beginning? Or did they use some sort of like um, process to make it look modern, like they did with they Peter Jackson's it, "They Shall Not Grow Old"? Kind of like that. They didn't. It obviously it didn't have to be a hundred. It wasn't a hundred year old footage, so mm -hmm. they didn't have to do extensive work. But it definitely, I think they did upgrade it to like eight K. Mm -hmm. so, and like I watched it in IMAX, and that was like the best way to watch it. I think. Um, it's just so great. It's, you know, Interstellar could never, Ooh. although Interstellar is really good. <laughs> but I mean, like, there's just certain things like you can't fake the, the, the Saturn V rocket. Like it looks, it looked real. And I'm like, there's nothing CG about this. Like, this is real. That's Holy so crap. Cool. Um, um, yeah, there's some, um, yeah, it, 
it's a great documentary. I don't know how how long it's going to be in IMAX theaters. I saw it at the Smithsonian, which kind of like has its own schedule for th- these sort of things. But if it's playing in an IMAX theater near you, I definitely recommend seeing it. So yeah, that's Pikachu. Uh, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. That's Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Apollo Eleven. Two very related things. <laughs> I was about to say. Um, neither of them have Danny DeVito. <laughs> uh, not yet. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, Anya, what's your little like for this week? So since it's our stick it to the man episode, I'm also going to break the rules and mention. Um, but I know, man in this I know, case? I know, I know. But that's because one of my really likes is half of a really hate. So I'm like. I want to have one full really like, and then my little half C. Mm-hmm. So to begin, my really like slash really hate. Recently in Britain, it was Red Nose Day, which is basically a day uh, where they raise money for comic relief, which is a charity that helps people around the world. And a lot of times this will include celebrities doing fun things or skits or short films. And this year, Richard Curtis wrote a sequel to his rom-com Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. And it was almost like Richard Curtis was like writing the sequel and was like, what would Anya Crittenden in North Hollywood, California, most want to see from this Four Weddings sequel? (laughs) He looked directly into my brain because do you know what the sequel was about? What was it about, Anya? I do. It was about Lily James and Alicia Vikander getting married. To each other. Yep. That is Anya Christensen's from LA County's exact dream. My dream. My really hate comes in because I haven't seen it yet. Because I can't access it from the US. Oh no. And it is breaking my heart. So now I'm 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 trying to like suffice with tum- with gifts on Tumblr, but it's just not quite doing justice. And I just really want to see this short film because all I want to do is see Lily James in a gay wedding. Please. I've finally been giving this dream and I can't access it. My heart hurts for you, Anya. It it, it, it hurts. Um, thank you. So that is my ha- my really hate of this part of the really <laughs> like. Um, and then I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Amanda Palmer, who is a singer-songwriter. Um, she released her latest solo album, There Will Be No Intermission, this week. Um, I've loved Amanda Palmer for many years. I've actually loved her longer than her husband, Neil Gaiman. I was a fan of hers first because she's actually also the lead singer of the band, the Dresden Dolls. And I've loved them since like middle school. Um, and so I really love her and she released her new album this week. Like I said, it's called, there will be no intermission. And it is just a very intimate, powerful, emotional experience as an album. You know, she has songs, she has a song about a woman getting an abortion, and she has songs about, you know, very relevant social issues. She wrote a song about Harvey Weinstein, and it's all incredibly powerful. It feels very genuine and empathetic, and, you know, like, she is really writing this as a way to kind of, for all of us to kind of have some sort of catharsis during these times, Um, and I love her voice. And so I just really love this album. It's been doing a lot for me this week. And I really recommend that you guys listen to it because it's a very moving experience as a whole album when you listen like from 
start to finish as albums should be listened to. So those are my two. Well, I will allow it because I'm not the man. (laughs) I'm accountable. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. Um, I, my really like for this week is a movie that hasn't yet come out, so I can't actually talk a lot about it, but I can give my, um, initial brief reactions, um, which are all glowing. And this (gasps) is Shazam, which guys, I love, I love Shazam. So this is the film starring Zachary Levi as, um, the titular superhero who is actually, uh, a young 14-year-old boy who is given the powers of the wizard Shazam and is able to turn into an adult superhero. And it pans out exactly how you would expect. He uses it for really childish, really silly um, sort of reasons. And it is just a blast to watch. Zachary Levi was born for this role. He is just incredibly charming through and through this whole movie is just like works like a complete charm i liked it more and more uh, i get away from it it might in fact be like i might like it on equal level to wonder woman in terms of like the dc universe movies like i like it a lot well maybe like a little less than wonder woman because wonder woman just like really powerful to me but i was just smiling from ear to ear through this movie it is so fun and it knows um that is a superhero movie it has that sort of sam raimi stylings of just like cheese and camp and sincerity and it never really and while it has like bits of humor that are sort of like metatextual and have almost a deadpool-esque um like a self-awareness to them it never undercuts those big superhero moments which I loved. And it is all about that found family, Anya, which I know that you'll love. I love found family. It's so great. And I just love the relationship in this. I love how this movie wears its heart on its sleeves. Um, I can't go further into it, but I just want to say that I absolutely adored this movie and I can't wait for you guys to see it when it comes out. I've also heard good things about handsome Mark Strong in Mm -hmm. the film. I love Mr. Handsome Mark Strong. He is good in this. Actually, I will say he he does a good job with like the the standard superhero villain. He's not quite Patrick Wilson's Orm, who is just like shouting. Is at anyone everybody. Patrick Wilson's Orm? Orm. Orm. <laughs> but I'm just he's he's the Ocean Master. He is, but um, Mark ocean Strong is great master. in this movie, and I really do like that. Like the the DC movies lately, like the solo movies especially, have been just kind of swinging for the fences and are doing something a little bit bolder, but also a little bit more like throwback in a way. Like Aquaman felt like that in a way, a lot of ways too. So I think you guys really like Shazam, and I'm excited for you guys to see it. Yay! I'm so excited. John Reese Davies as the Brian King. (laughs) My God. Um, all right julie andrews as the the racist drag uh, no not dragon an octopus it was like... plays the drums yes. that movie was real or... i love it that it was real it was big and dumb and great the movie was and it was the best it was great the that's the only way to do an aquaman movie really it's truly yeah um all right well that is our episode um if you guys have anything that you guys want to chat to us about if it's from our episode about netflix and sticking it to the man or anything that we're liking this week including apollo 11 let's go pikachu shazam if you're excited about seeing it in the future uh there will be no intermission or the four wedding sequel 
all of these things and more you can come chat with us about. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Excuse me. You can uh, listen to us on SoundCloud and rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Orm underscore Ocean Master. <laughs> at Willie All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.